This episode includes some topics of violence and both mental and emotional abuse. Please take care of yourself and only listen if these topics are safe for you. If you need to talk to someone or need further resources, the National Domestic Violence Hotline is 1-800-799-7233. Please listen at your discretion. Welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback. I'm one of the hosts, Asia Bonilla. And I'm Charles Sheeland, the other host. And today we're back again wrapping up our mini unit of sad fiction, which has been four single books with a book per week. And today we're covering Bruiser by Neil Schusterman. Yep, we're best friends and we share books with each other. And we turned that idea that we had into a podcast. So generally we alternate between series that one of us has read and the other hasn't. But right now, as Asia mentioned, we're doing a mini unit of single books. These are four realistic fiction books that are vaguely centered around themes of sadness and trauma. And we covered one book per week for the last four weeks. So next week, we'll get back into some series. Yes. So I picked out this book, Bruiser, which I've read and Charles hasn't. And I just wanted to give some background on the book, the author, and my personal connection with it before we dive into the plot. But for the author, Neil Schusterman, he graduated from UC Irvine with degrees in psychology and theater, and he has written over 30 novels for children, teens, and adults. And Bruiser was published in July 2010, which was right before I started and Charles started seventh grade. And Neil Schusterman actually lived where I went to middle school, Rancho Santa Margarita, California, shout out. And even though I do believe I looked it up, he lives in Florida now, which honestly, what a downgrade. But (laughs) he actually came and talked about his books in my seventh grade English honors class. And that's how I discovered him as an author. And I believe Bruiser is the first book of his that I actually read. And we're definitely going to be covering more of his novels and series since, like I said, he has written a lot and I have read a couple of them. And from what I remember, they're all really good. But Bruiser doesn't really seem to be like one of his most popular novels or really that well-known compared to, especially compared to some of his bigger series. But it's still an incredible read that many people did seem to enjoy because on his website, storyman.com, some people have actually requested a sequel to the book, which he responded in a post on January 18th, 2021, that Bruiser is in development as a TV series, so we may get to see where their lives go after the end of the book. As for me, some books are standalones with no sequel. The story at its heart was about Bronte and Tennyson owning their own pain. The story is over the moment they truly do, which I completely agree with. I think that it serves as a really nice standalone book. I think it would be brought down by trying to have it as a sequel, but I do think it's interesting to hear that it could possibly be made into a TV show because as with anything, it's nice to see the actual like visual representation of a book. But other than that, I think we're going to go ahead and dive into Bruiser. So Charles is going to go ahead and give us the plot summary for this week. Yeah. I'll go ahead with that. So, oh, I said that so awkwardly. Forgive me, guys. 
So this book focuses on two siblings, Bronte and Tennyson, whose parents are in the process of separating while they're in early, while the two kids are early high school aged. They're twins. I didn't mention that. Um, Bronte starts dating a social outcast called Brewster, and he becomes friends with both of the siblings, so also with Tennyson. They then learn that Brewster is actually physically taking away their pain and also even their mental hurt, and he's absorbing it all of it into himself. Then they do their utmost to protect Bruce's secrets, like they, the secret that he can like take away your pain, and Bruce starts to learn to try to not take everything from other people, but he has this strong desire to take other people's pain to make their lives easier. And this all sort of culminates in the two of them needing to learn how to take hold on to their own pain. I don't want to get more into it because, again, we'll just get bogged down. My quick impression is that I really enjoyed it, and it's funny that you mentioned that you pulled that line from Mr. Schusterman, because I thought this was such a like my impression, like when I wrote down, you know, was preparing for the episode. I was like, I think this is a great standalone book. It has a good ending, and I think it's pretty rare in uh, young adult books to get like such an excellent standalone book, and that like. Sometimes the authors, like, ruin it by adding another one. Yeah. And I'll talk about that more at the end of the episode, but I really appreciate when someone can write a book and you can feel satisfied when you finish it just after one. Yeah, I definitely agree. I also really love this book, and I honestly don't know why I haven't reread it or any of the other Schusterman books that I read, like, as a kid, because... From what I remember, like I said, they were all really good, and we just read this one. This one was really well done, which we'll get into. But I will say that I didn't really remember this book being quite so fantastical with the depth of, like, Brewster's powers. But regardless, I couldn't put the story down. It was really, really well done. It's We'll get into it, but I did really enjoy it. I wouldn't even say that it felt fantastical, but, well, well, we'll get there. Yes, I mean, obviously it's not real, but, like... I just more, because since we put this again, this is our sad, realistic fiction. I mean, it's still realistic, obviously, because it's set in, like, normal, our world, teenagers in high school. He just happens to have this, like, fantastical power from him. I just didn't realize how much... Like, I knew it was a part of the story, but I didn't really remember exactly how big of a part like it was the in the story. the the whole story... <laughs> Which it was the whole story, but again, it's been like a decade since I read this book, so. Okay, if you say so. Well, anyway, so Tennyson and Bronte are twins, and their parents are English professors, like I mentioned, and that's why their parents gave them those terribly unfortunate names. (laughs) And Bronte wants to go out with a guy who's a bit of an outcast and frequently has bruises on his body, which we don't learn that until later. And his name is Brewster, but people call him the Bruiser, which is obviously where we get the name of the book. And already, I think it's pretty clear, pretty much two chapters in, that this is setting up to be like a don't judge a book by its cover story for Brewster and a big growth story for Tennyson. I've never, something that Tennyson like describes Brewster as, which I've never heard this before, 
he describes Brewster has green eyes. He describes them as ugly pea green, which I don't know. I just had to write this down because like I feel like I've never had a character who has like lighter eyes, so blue or green, be described as having ugly eyes. So like I just felt like that really pointed to how biased Tennyson is towards Brewster. Yeah, I mean I've seen like blue eyes like being icy or being cold or like being evil. Yeah, but even that's like kind of still a compliment, like ugly pea green. Yeah, no, you're like, right. I just I just thought that was funny because I was like, I feel like anyone with any kind of light eyes or that's not like brown, it's always like you usually aren't insulted by the color of your eyes if you don't have brown eyes. So I just thought that was funny. Yeah. You mentioned it's a don't judge a book by its cover for Brewster. It's a and I'm going to probably call him Brew just so you guys know, because I'm going to if I start calling him Brewster, I'm going to start calling him Bruiser and that would be pejorative. Anyway, it's. I don't have a book by its cover for Brew. It's a, like, a growing up story. Like, don't be a bad person for Tenny. And it's also a maturing story for Bronte because she's going to lose a lot of innocence and naivete throughout the book. Yes, but thankfully Tennyson has a pretty quick change of heart, especially after seeing Brewster's scarred and bruised back, which, again, this is when we discover that he has bruises covering, like, every inch of his body. Well, we... We know he has bruises before, but we don't know the extent. Like, the reason that they nicknamed him the Bruiser is because he's got, like, No, they nicknamed him the Bruiser because they think that, like, he's most likely to receive the death penalty. They call him Bruiser because a Bruiser is, like, someone who beats people up, who puts bruises on others. They don't think that he is the one who's being hurt. Nowhere in the... The only people who suspect that is Tennyson and Bronte when they discover that when he lifts up his shirt in the locker room and Tennyson sees that, but they call him bruiser because they're like, he's scary. Like he hurts people. Like he's going to kill someone. That's what they mean. Like that's what bruiser, like that term refers to. You think about it. Bru- you're not the bruisee. Everyone, you're the bruiser. I, I, I know. I know what the term means. I know what the term means. I thought that the kids called him that because they also saw like he frequently had bruises on his arms because they thought he was getting in fights. No, no one knows that he's has bruises. It was, it was that no, not like the severe. No, no, no. I like, know what you're saying, maimed. but no, okay. like no one knows that he had any bruises. Okay, then I must have yeah, misread it was that. The, he's bruiser because the kids were like afraid of him, and they basically were like, "He's going to hurt about, people." Yeah. Not that he was like bruised up. At least that's what I thought it was. Okay, that's fine. I must have misread that. Then it doesn't matter. Well, anyway, so. Tennyson does end up seeing the bruises on Brewster's back in the locker room, which again is showing that he must be being abused or something because it's not like, it's not like there's a couple bruises on his arms or something. It's like he's covered. Like it looks like he's been like just beaten over and over and over again. Like it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Tennyson actually says bruiser is the human receptacle of someone else's brutality. Like that's the verbatim line. Like it's very clear that, what has been inflicted on brew is like beyond like what a teenager might like have from like tripping and falling over. Like this was clearly inflicted on him. And so like he, but like you said, he makes this like pretty quick change. He has this predisposition to like, not like brew and suspect him. 
And so he goes to, like, follow him home to, like, find out what's going on, but also, like, so he can get some dirt on him to, like, ruin his relationship with Bronte. But then he sees Hoyt, the uncle, getting violent, and he, like, basically, like, immediate turnaround for Tenny. Like, he steps in to defend Cody, which is Cody's little brother. Yeah. Didn't I say that? I thought you were asking it like a question. Oh, no. <laughs> you kind of yeah. went, Cody? Uh, and I was, I was just confirming that, yes, it is. Because it, we, we mess up the names on here a lot. We mess <laughs> we up the names a lot. get so confused on the more I minor see, characters. I mean, I definitely could have made up, yeah, his name. But, like, Tenny steps in to defend Cody. And, like, now, Tenny and Brewer are friends. Like, they're, like, the best buds. And, yeah, so, like you said, there's a pretty quick turnaround. And the next day, so also the, like, the pet bull dies and they have to, like, chop up the bull and, like, get rid of it. Like, so gross. I was really hoping to avoid that, but we needed it for the fact that Tenny scrapes up his knuckles. And the next morning, they're healed, but Brew has really bad scrapes on his knuckles. And I immediately was like, oh, Brew definitely took away Tennyson's scraped knuckles. Yeah, I was definitely going to ask if you had already kind of started to figure it out with the whole knuckle situation. I mean, yeah, I feel like it was super heavy handed. Like maybe a teenager wouldn't have realized that it was Brewster. And I what I will say is like, I didn't know at first that like, because what I misspoke, I said the knuckles were healed. It's actually as if like the injury was never there. Like, it's fully, like, transferred one to the other, which I didn't know then. I thought maybe it was, like, being around Brew, like, has, like, rah-rah healing powers for, like, I don't know. Or, like... Which I think w- would point to why Tennyson wouldn't have noticed as, as easily, because he could have been like, well, maybe I was just imagining that my knuckles were actually that badly scraped up. Exactly. You know, because if you're not really paying attention... But I definitely noticed yeah, that, like, I just, there was that... It was definitely like, well, that's interesting. Yeah. But... Yeah. But if I wasn't sure by then, I was absolutely sure when Brew goes hiking with Bronte. Because Bronte, like, sprains her ankle. And I'm like, oh, Brew absolutely just healed it. Like, and especially because his feet immediately start hurting after she realized. She's like, oh, my God, my ankle sprain couldn't have been that bad because I feel great now. And he's literally like, oh, my God, my shoes are so tight. (laughs) And I was like, immediately. I was like, he definitely took away her pain. Okay, well, <laughs> I will say, I will say that I was tricked. I was bamboozled in this moment because I did not make this connection, and I have read this book before, but I did not make this connection because I think Bronte says something like she she sees him the next day and how he's like totally limping, and she says how like walking a day in like bad shoes can like mess you up for a week. And I was like, you know what? You're right. When I, did I mean, it's not wrong. Action. She's not wrong. She is right. But it's like, you got tricked. Because also my, what I wrote in my notes for when he was like massaging her ankle and she immediately fell, felt better. I was like, he just massaged away her twisted ankle. Like, Obviously, this is the kind of man I need in my life because I'm always in pain. So I would love to have some massage magical things happening. But on a more serious note, he says that what he's doing is this thing called reflexology. I was thinking I was like, oh, maybe he like knows like some massage techniques from having to treat himself after like being beaten, which I will say 
I think this is where for me, like, I misremembered that I didn't realize that. I think, I don't know. I like misremembered in that I couldn't remember if Brewster also was actually physically hit or if it was all through uh, the uncle hitting Cody. Like, I couldn't remember exactly. But either way, I mean, he still had to deal with healing injuries. So that was kind of my logic there. Like, I did not make the connection of, like, he literally took away the sprained ankle in that moment because I wasn't there yet. I'm shaking my head at you. I was like, oh, my goodness. It's so obvious. This is why you need to read fantasy more often because you're like, yeah, I'm just expecting magic. Well, I was going to say that, too, for even how you said with the knuckles of you immediately knew. I mean, obviously, when I read this for the first time, I was like 12 years old, so I wasn't at the same mental capacity as you. But for me, I've also just not grown up reading as many fantasy novels, so it's much harder for me to accept something as, like, magical, whereas for you, I'm sure it's like, you're like, where's the magic? Like, I hope there's magic in this, whereas I'm always like, that's not rational, that's illogical, that makes no sense. So I feel like I wouldn't have seen it, especially, like, reading it for the first time, like, as a kid, too. I would have been like, I would not have expected that this is what the book was going to be about. Yeah, well, as for the reflexology, I just thought, like, I truly thought that he just had a reflexology because, like, Bronte, like, he knows that she knows a bunch of, like, big vocab words because of her annoying parents. And so he just said it to, like, cover up. I mean, like, reflexology is, like, a deep tissue massage on your feet, like, of trigger points. And it's super painful, but, like, come on, Asia, you should know better that you cannot massage away a sprained ankle. Well, I thought maybe she didn't actually sprain it. You know how some people are, like, dramatic? They, like, roll their ankle. They're like, oh, my God, I sprained it. And you're like, fine. Yeah, I guess. But, like, ankle stuff is normally, like, lateral ligament stress. Like, that doesn't go away until you rest it. All I know is I did not make the connection that early on in the book because I didn't realize. Also, I think for me, I didn't realize he cared enough about her that it was already, like, he was taking away her injuries. Okay, whatever. It's fine. We're going to find out in a second anyway. So then we have the dinner party with the big reveal, which I guess, you know, Charles already figured this out. But we we find out basically that Brewster can somehow take away people's pain that he cares about and he puts it onto himself. And at this point, he obviously already cares for Bronte. So during this dinner party, she like cuts her hand and that transfers to him. I like how that was the big reveal for you, because for me, the big reveal was that the parents are separating because the mom is having an affair. And again, fantasy versus real life. I wasn't that (laughs) I was more shocked by him having a superpower (laughs) than the parents getting divorced. Also, I mean, based on how it was described, like Bronte had this whole thing about Dropping, like, an atomic bomb, well, was, how, like... Well, when the dinner party starts, yes. When the dinner party starts, and they're like, I was too stupid well, to yeah, notice. They, I was like, okay, there's definitely, an, a, like, a divorce coming up. It, it was a divorce coming. I mean, what else could it but be? But I'm saying that, like... So, I... Like, from the first chapter, when he's, they're just describing their weird parents, I didn't think, oh, my God, the parents are getting a divorce. But, of course, as soon as she says, like, I was too stupid to notice the bomb, I was like, well, of course, then I knew... Well, I guess for me, too, because I was like, okay, yes, divorce is awful and going to be hard on the kids, but, like, how are they going to cope with this boy who has magical powers to take away pain? Like, that's not something normal people go through. So that's what I was looking more as a big reveal of, like, what their reaction, like, what Bronte's reaction to that was going to be, whereas, like, kids' reaction to divorce, unfortunately, quite predictable. Well, I guess. So... 
I will say that at this point, I did think Brew could only take physical ailments, not emotional ones. Like, the discovery about the emotional, like, the extent of his abilities, I definitely, like, more lined up with Tennyson. Like, it started kind of sort of being indicated that, like, maybe he was also, like, making people's emotional lives easier. But, like, we don't really get that until he's living with them. So, it's I didn't have the whole thing figured out because... Also, like, you know, even in a fantastical setting, and I don't even want to call this fantasy because it doesn't, it's not like magic. It's not like I cast a spell and loop-de-doop, you know. It's like a, it still feels very realistic fiction, even though I know the power is not realistic. I understand that, but I'm saying, like, everything else about the book is realism. And so this power could easily just be, like, a metaphor of, like, using other people as a receptacle of pain, like the line said. But anyway, my point is that, like, I was able to much more easily accept, like, that, like, physical things are absorbed by Brew because that feels like within, like, I'm doing this in air quotes, guys. It feels like within, like, a reasonable expectation of fiction. Does that make sense? Like, it's tangible. Like, it makes sense. Whereas, obviously, just like with regular, like, mental illness or emotions, you can't necessarily see it on the surface. So, it's much... It would take longer to notice that he's also taking on not only your physical ailments, but your emotional and mental ailments. Because you might not necessarily see them because they're not going to present themselves on his body as a bruise or a mark or a cut. It's going to be inside where he's hurting. Yeah. I guess I just didn't... I, like, if you, like, set up rules of logic or rules of magic, like, one of them being that, like, he takes physical pain from people, like, feels, like, I can believe that world building a little easier. Does that make sense? I guess you're saying that it's, like, it's easier to swallow where it's, like, obviously emotional, mental pain, that's a lot deeper. Like, can he take away, like, your chronic depression, like... Which, to my understanding, and we'll get more into it, yes. Basically, also because his power is limited by, like, distance. So, rule number one, he has to care for you. If he doesn't care for you, which is also why he's a a loner, because he can't care for that many people, or he would die because that'd be too many people. Two, he has to be within a reasonable, like, distance to you to be taking that away. And the farther away he gets, the harder it is, and eventually he loses, like, that connection. But once he's, like, tuned into you and he's, like, Within the distance, he takes everything, which you may not have noticed it until he, which we'll get to that, he ends up moving in with Tennyson and Bronte's family. But his little brother, Cody, he talks about how he basically lives without pain. Like, he doesn't feel anything bad ever. He doesn't even really feel fear ever because anytime Brewster's around him, Brewster takes all of those things away. So he's literally living in like la la land like just (laughs) constantly in a state of i guess maybe not bliss but like just pain-free worry-free i mean what a life to live like (laughs) but okay well it's in direct contrast to what his older brother is living well yes which that's why i mean i'll get into it a little later but i was getting very frustrated with how cody was acting and treating Bruce's ability because it was totally unfair, but we'll get to that in a second. But first, since Brewster takes everything away from Cody, 
This is how Uncle Hoyt, their uncle, has technically never actually hit Brew. He only hits Cody, and Brew obviously takes the pain right away. So Brew is Brewster is actually the one suffering from all of the violence, but he's not actually physically being hit. Yeah, it's really quite dark, like, especially because, like, Brew has to take the pain twice because he has to, like, watch it happen to his brother, and then he also has to physically experience it himself. It's, it's, I mean, it's not just, I mean, it's obviously physically abusive, but it's also, like, emotional warfare. Well, it's also just, like, you were literally made to be powerless because if his uncle were actually beating him, like, if you were in a fight or, like, you were being attacked, you obviously could, like, dodge them or, like, try to fight back, where... When it's his little brother, Cody, like, he's not Cody. So, like, he can't, he tells Cody, like, to be, like, a rag doll and just, like, absorb everything. Like, don't do anything to make it worse, basically. So, it's like you're getting beat up, but you're powerless to do anything to, like, even prevent it, to stop it, to get away from it. Which is just, like, a whole nother layer of, like, awfulness. Yeah. But on a slightly lighter note, I guess... Tennyson actually takes Brewster, like, to the gym as they, like, start to become friends, and Tennyson's a lacrosse player, so he's all about, like, working out, I guess, and getting fit, and he's like, we're gonna get you in shape, (laughs) Brewster, so he's, like, playing, like, personal trainer to Brewster, and is like, you know, do this, do that, and everything, and Tennyson's like, he feels great or whatever during the workout, like, he feels like, you know, nothing's like, he's not getting tired, he's not getting winded, and it's all because Brewster is literally taking all of that from him, he's gonna take the soreness, the, like, pain, all of that, and I was just like, wow, like, can you, again, can you imagine having someone taking away all the soreness in your body, like, after a workout, like, it would obviously suck for them, but be incredible for you, which, Again, is like the idea of, but Brewster doesn't deserve that. But yet, also, and at this point in the story, like, Tennyson doesn't even know what's happening. So he's just like, wow, I'm doing great today, when actually Brewster's, like, taking the workout for both of them, which... Well, also, just side note, like, I don't think that Brew really needs any help getting in shape, because if I was getting basically beat up every day, I would be throwing up all the time, and I wouldn't have anything left in my stomach, so I'd be a skinny legend. For terrible reasons. Don't get me wrong. But, like... Well, uh, But... I think, well, also, Tennyson basically was, like, you need to be able to, like, stand up and, like, fight someone, which is another, like, theme of this, of, like, Brewster's never, like, hit anyone, never hurt anyone, because he feels... He feels everyone's pain, so, like, he can't hurt other people, which, I again, literally powerless, like... Yeah. I'm going to go back in that lighter direction because I think we need it. Like, I mean, I work as a full-time dancer and a teacher. Like, we talk about this on the podcast all the time. <laughs> Truly, every day when I get home from work, my body is exhausted. Sometimes, confession, I'm soaking my feet in Epsom salts while we record this podcast. And we're both always sitting on heating pads when we record the show, right? Yep, got my heating pad on my back right now. Me too. Well, I'm sitting on mine, but like I wouldn't wish my pain on anybody else, but it sure would feel great if I didn't have soreness the next day. Okay, I'm done with the levity. We can move back onto the darkness now. I just needed it to break it up because it's dark. Diving into the darkness. So our first kind of glimpse that we get of Hoyt's violent violence towards 
Cody slash Brewster is Hoyt actually burns himself like with a cigarette or something so that it hurts Brewster, which shows us the reader that Brewster obviously cares for Hoyt and protects him too, even though he's abuses them and everything. And again, Hoyt is obviously taking advantage of the fact that Brewster is going to do anything to protect himself and Cody. And then later on, we get a very, very violent and graphic scene of Hoyt beating Cody out like in the shed. And Brewster was actually out with Bronte that day and like came home late. So at first, as you're reading it, you're not sure if like Cody's actually going to get beat up like for the first time because Brewster's not there. But then Brewster shows up and he's like outside and he's taking away all the pain. And it was just, it was absolutely brutal. And Brewster literally describes peeing on himself from the pain. And it was, it was just heartbreaking to read. And, but together afterwards, like I, they like go over how they have this ritual that afterwards, like Cody comes and like soaks like Brewster's back where like most of the injuries go to. And they still decide that they can't tell anyone about this because of what Brewster can do. Because obviously, again, he has this special power, like, always in like the shows and the movies and the stories of like if you have the special power like the government's going to kidnap you and like put you in a lab to study you and obviously even despite that he doesn't want to be separated from his brother so like they can't tell anyone so they're in a really 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 difficult position yeah and we also around this time we find out that the reason they don't live with their mom she's passed on but their mom sent them to live with Hoyt because she had cancer and she knew that like once it developed, it was gonna Brew was gonna take away her cancer. Like Well, because originally it was it was I think ovarian cancer or cervical and cancer. He like didn't it was have ovaries, and he doesn't so have he those obviously could not like take it. Yeah, but, but there was the like cancer no obviously will spread through your whole body. Exactly. To other organs. And so like basically like the mom literally gives up seeing her children to give for like a fighting chance at life like and he has to carry that that like now this is like him having to put up with Hoyt and Cody having to put up with Hoyt is because of like his power I mean it's not fair I'm not saying that like Bruin's in the wrong but like he's also already carrying plenty of emotional baggage they also just got taken away from their mother earlier than they would have had to if they were able to stay with her before she passed away yes and then Brew starts taking pain from Tenny at lacrosse games. And he says something like, it's worth the pain to have friends. And he, like, feels more included. But, like, you know, and Tennyson's like, I'm just playing really well at first. But, you know, he's not only taking... he actually does attack... Tennyson actually does attack Brew and tells him not to come to his games anymore because he feels, like, like, guilty, almost like he cheated... Because, yeah. But he didn't know at the time. Yeah, he which again is an. Yeah, he's. It's just up. interesting to note because he has a different feeling about it later on in the book. Yeah, and what's double bad is that like he Brew is not only getting like pummeled from lacrosse games, so like it's super freaking violent, but then also Hoyt takes it out on him even worse when he's out because Hoyt is used to like having an emotional like receptacle like to take away all of his feelings of inadequacy and discomfort. And so then he gets, he lashes out when Brew's not there. So then 
through is like battered from the lacrosse game, and then he gets home, and then he gets beaten again. He's like truly stuck in like the abuse cycle. Yes, but then something happens to break this cycle, which I do not remember this at all, but Hoyt actually ends up having a stroke, and he tries to pass it on to Brewster, but Brewster is actually able to find the strength in himself to like stop caring about Hoyt enough so that he can get away from him, because again, his power only works from a certain distance, so that Hoyt can take the stroke back and fully suffer it himself, and he actually ends up dying. And this is super key. Like, Brew can, Brew and the people around him can actually control the flow of pain, but it takes concerted effort. Basically, like, if you're not turned on, like, the the pain will flow directly from you to Brew. But if Brew is ter- super, like, in tune, or if you yourself are super in tune, like, you can theoretically hold on to the pain, and that's going to become crucial down the line. But, mm-hmm. you know, now Hoyt dying leads to Brew and Cody moving in with Tennyson and Bronte, which leads to Tennyson breaking some kid's nose so that no one finds out about Brew's powers. So basically the context is, like, they're all out, like, doing stuff that high schoolers do. I don't know. They're, like, at the ice cream shop or something. Yeah, that's not realistic at all. But, um, and people are, like, being super rude to Brew, because, and they're like, you're so weird for letting him live with you, Tennyson. And... Well, because they're also like, oh, he killed his uncle because, again, he's the bruiser, most likely to get the death penalty. (laughs) (laughs) And, but, and so, like, I think Brew, Tenny gets, like, slapped or something like that, and he notices immediately that it's, like, already on Brew, and he's like, oh, no, I got to take this guy out before, like, I get beat (laughs) up because if I get beat up. Oh, no. (laughs) If I get beat up, it's going to show up on Brew, so we got to stop that. So he you know, goes into a little bit of a lethal mode and takes this kid down a couple pegs. Yes, which I don't think Tennyson had to break, this kid's name was Ozzy. I don't think he had to break Ozzy's nose, but he literally said, I don't want to fight, and Ozzy pushed him. And one of his friends, one of Tennyson's friends, is like, you crossed a line, dude. I'm like, I don't think he crossed a line. He wasn't the instigator, and he was just defending his friend and, I mean, obviously they don't know the deeper meaning behind it, but it also, I mean, it kind of reminds me from per- the Perks of Being a Wallflower how Charlie defends Patrick when Brad calls Patrick the F word and then they, like, the other, like, jock kids or whatever start beating him up and, like, Charlie comes and, like, just beats them all to the ground. He annihilates them. <laughs> he annihilates them. He annihilates them. them. And, you know, it's like, if you hurt him again, I'll blind you, like... Obviously, it's kind of like, okay, a little extreme, but you weren't the instigator. It was all in, like, self-defense slash, like, defending somebody else. So just because you know how to fight, you know how to end the fight quickly, which is basically what he did. He punched him in the face so that he would break his nose, so obviously it would be over. Like, I don't think that he crossed a line. Like, Ozzy crossed a line for not knowing when it was time to, like, shut up. Also, like... Yeah, I felt the same way. Like, I'm a non-violent person. I don't think that, like, problems are generally solved by hitting each other because, you know, 
that's what infants do when they don't have the words to express what they want. So let's all be better than that. But like once like once fists are thrown, like all bets are off. I'm not saying like obviously don't like don't kill anybody, Tennyson, but like I'm like, if you hit me, <laughs> are off. It's a fight to the death. <laughs> but if you hit me, Tennyson, or if you hit me, someone, like, expect to be hit back. Like, I could say, like, crossing a line is like if he pulled a knife or something, <laughs> like a weapon. You know, this is a fist fight. You brought a weapon, especially because like, like breaking a nose that could be an accident. Like, it just so happens that Tennyson knows exactly how what he's doing. <laughs> but like, I wouldn't know he's what just I'm a doing. Skilled fighter. But if you hit me and I accidentally hit your nose and you accidentally broke your nose like you know i'm not an expert like it wasn't i just don't know how anybody could be considered to have crossed a line when he literally said i don't, don't want to fight. fight i don't want to do this and he was very like passive until and ozzy's like come on just punch me <laughs> <laughs> like okay get your kinks out somewhere else dude like <laughs> okay but moving on Going back to Cody, Brewster's little Who is, brother. Oh, just want to mention, don't mean to interrupt, but like, so we, the book comes, we get the book from first person narrators, Bronte, Tennyson, Brew, and Cody. And my favorites to read were Tennyson because he's like jock brain, like really funny. And Bronte was annoying to read because she's so dumb. Brew was interesting to read because it's poetry, it's verse. Cody, I was so annoyed with because I'm like, I cannot read from a child's perspective. I mean, yeah, because he's, like, eight, maybe? Or no, maybe he's supposed to be, like, ten. I don't know. But he's, like, a little kid. Yeah. But back to Cody. We, this is where I was saying of, like, his selfishness about Brewster was really, really starting to annoy me. But thank God he does finally come to the realization, you know, that Brewster is not invincible. And if Cody continues to do stupid things, he could literally kill Brewster. like. I mean, he comes to this realization, basically, I think. This is when he climbs up. An electrical pole. A telephone pole. A telephone pole because his kite got cut up there. This is what happens when you live pain-free. When you live without pain, you become an idiot. <laughs> because ignorance is bliss, I guess. So you're just an idiot just wandering around the world like nothing's going to hurt you. And it's because, like, and the, I'm not saying it's Brew's fault because it's not Brew's fault. But, like... And it's, there's no way, I don't know how you would, like, instill it in a kid like Cody, because, because you've never felt pain, you, like, don't really understand, like, guilt and ramifications, because, like, that's what, like, really teaches children lessons is, like, guilt, like, when you're, like, I'm disappointed in you, like, what you did put other people in danger, like, obviously kids learn from different ways, but, like, at least for me, like, when I really learned things, like, right and wrong as a kid, it's when, like, people were, like, when I was shamed for what I did that was wrong. Yeah, you you have to experience it to exactly. truly understand usually. And which, like, earlier in the book, they talk about how, like, Cody, like, off jumps roof. off the roof he, of their house and he breaks Brewster's and arm. He, but because he literally, like, because Brew will always take everything, he doesn't even get to experience, like, he feels it for, like, an hour until Brew gets home. And then he's perfectly scot-free off the hook. And, yeah, it's kind of, like... I agree. Like, Cody's selfishness. The climbing the telephone pole, I was like, he's going to literally kill himself also, I was right like, now. I don't know Bruce what on die. Earth you are doing, but, like, you, 
Do you see any other kids climbing telephone poles? No. But at least, like, it did work out because I this is I was like definitely at the like breaking point of this is a terrible character. This is his like aha moment, his epiphany where he's like, oh my gosh, Bruce is not invincible. If I keep doing this, like, I could literally kill my own brother. So he's oh well, like you you know you said it says ha ha moment. I just want to piggyback on that. Is like he realizes he can hold on to some of his own pain. He realizes he can hold yes. on to fear. He can hold on to his own feelings. Hint hint, wink wink. Brew takes away feelings as well. Um, like yeah, he holds on to his fear because like he's about to fall, but he's like, if I fall, like I'm gonna get Bruce gonna get hurt in front of everyone. Everyone's gonna know. So he's like, I have to hold on to my fear because that's what's keeping me holding on. Like. To the telephone pole. Yeah. But even though Cody comes to this realization, Tennyson really starts to take advantage of Brewster right around this same time, which is obviously terrible. Also because Tennyson has slowly started to realize the full extent of Brewster's powers, like we're saying about the emotional. He's kind of denying it. Like he's denying it within himself, but he knows deep down. I mean, just like at the end, like Bronte even says, like she knew like subconsciously, but like just hadn't recognized it yet because it's so easy. Again, that whole idea of ignorance is bliss. It's so easy to live in this nice, happy, peaceful world when you know that like identifying this information is going to tear that apart. Yeah. And I just also thought it was really ironic because Bronte literally just said how no one else is going to use Brewster like Hoyt did, yet her entire family is using him just by him being in their house. And like we said, he's literally ends up like holding their parents together. Like he's holding on to like what should be their like divorce. To be fair to Bronte, while she should be paying attention, I will say that Brew should have told Tennyson and Bronte, the full scope of his powers and why he stormed out of the dinner date on the first time. He storms out because, like, I can't take their pain and, like, I can't like them. And and Bronte's like, that was so rude. And I'm like, when he is now close enough to Tennyson and Bronte, he should have told them it's really, like... Well, she didn't know at that specific moment. He doesn't... I know, I know she didn't know, but my point is that he should have told them so that he, because then the, they put him in this situation where he was taking on more pain because of them. And if they had just been given all the facts, they wouldn't have advocated a situation where he's literally holding together a falling marriage. Like, I'm not saying that, like... I don't know, because I do, I, I just don't know how it would change necessarily their decisions if he's already trusted them with everything i don't know it is very interesting because i also like i have questions at the end of like i don't really understand how he like goes on to exist with this power like how do you ever meet new people but we'll get that to that in a bit but i did think it was a little embarrassing how long it took bronte to realize like i just think i agree i agree absolutely because like tennyson got there like and also, I mean, Tennyson, and like... And as soon as he sees... As soon as he feels as Well, we'll get there. I'll get there right now, and then we'll get there. Yeah. So, Tennyson, like you mentioned, he's going to abuse Brew's willingness to be included and to be loved because he has... Basically, he's going through a relationship rough spot, and he thinks that... Oh, God, such a shock brain. He thinks that if he wins a lacrosse game, his girlfriend will get back together with him. So, Brew comes. He wins a lacrosse game. His girlfriend is like, psych, not interested. I'm now with the guy whose nose you broke. (laughs) 
And so now Henderson is truly feeling like emotional, like a heart, like a breakup, like a heartache. And then he feels it go away. And that's when he like can no longer deny it. Like when Brew takes away like his broken heart. He comes home and immediately, well, but he's also like up to this point, he's been saying how every time he goes home, he's like, it's like, it's just a safe place. And I was like, Brewster's in your house. It didn't feel like that before. I don't know. I, it, it's also just like, again, adult reader. These are teenagers. Maybe I didn't come to this conclusion so quickly, but I was just like, I don't understand how like, I know home is a safe space, but like it's not that safe. It's not so safe that like you literally can't get angry. Especially with like, like your parents. Like you literally can't like your mom doesn't your parents don't get angry when her literal lover comes in the door, has the audacity to knock on the door of your family's house to talk to her, and the dad is just okay with that. It's just whatever. Yeah. No, I mean, but then when when he feels the heartbreak taken away, that's when he like commits to it, he realizes it and yeah. Which he, like, felt, like, so then at that point, Tennyson knows what's going on. Bronte's still in the dark, which whether she subconsciously knew and just hadn't really put the pieces together because she didn't want it to. It kind of sounds like she didn't know. She sounds dumb. Like, she sounds dumb as a doornail. No, it sounded like she didn't know at all. Like, she had no idea, which, <laughs> I mean, I understand because obviously Tennyson did have, like, with the lacrosse games and he had had a really significant heartbreak Whereas, like, Bronte obviously has, like, the stress, whatever, of, like, her parents' divorce and everything. But every time she's at home, everything seems fine. So, like, I could see her, like, not noticing it as much because she's not going through as much, maybe. And maybe she's also just not away from Brewster as much to, like, really notice the difference. Because, obviously, since they're, like, dating, they probably spend more time together at school. So, he's probably constantly, like, you know, drugging her up, basically, because (laughs) Tennyson literally, like becomes like addicted to like Brewster like he's a drug like yeah to make him feel like numb like well it's like I, I thought said, that was a really a, interesting it's a it's a loss of innocence story for her because she's so dumb she literally can't see what's in front <laughs> of her <laughs> yes so anyway we'll get to now we're like pretty much at the end of the book <laughs> and Bronte finally re- like finally has this realization and because even she's then, like in her house he has to walk her through it he has to show her, like, you introduced me to all your friends whom I like and who like me. These are all the things they've done to me. Because Bronte, like, comes in the room and, like, Brewster's, like, crying or something. And he, like, she's, like, open your shirt. Let me see. And he, like, opens his shirt and he's all, like, bruised and scarred. It's all over every inch of his Worse body. And he's, ever. like, this is, like, Susie's, <laughs> like, bad grade in class. <laughs> Not funny. <laughs> This this is you know knee. Jessica getting dumped by her boyfriend and she's and then he points to his heart and he's like and this is your parents divorce <laughs> and that's like, if this were made into a TV show or, or movie that's when they'd be like oh like the whole like uh, live studio audience would be like oh, like gas and shock Whoa. because then she's like what are you talking about but she's like she can't get angry because she's like with him so she can't fully feel it. So this is when, like, all the dots are connected, and she, like, runs out of the house and is able to, like, get far enough away, which, um, really quick before we further this, let's go, let's just rewind for a second. When Tennyson makes the connection after the breakup, he comes home, realizes that he instantly feels okay, and he tries to leave the house knowing that what he is doing is wrong, but he can't make it because he cannot live with the pain. He just, he gives it all away, which, again, to me was, like, I will say at least, yes, Bronte was kind of stupid, but she's ultimately the better person. 
Because as soon as she actually realizes, she immediately leaves the house to, like, deal with her own emotions. Which, again, it could be because she wasn't really dealing with anything. Yeah. No, I was, I was let down I by guess, Kenny in that like, moment. Because he literally gets to the edge of the gate. And he he's was like, like, he was literally he's like, like, nah, it was, give me another hit. I thought it was a very interesting parallel to, like, a drug addict yeah. or, like, an alcoholic. Where it was like, he knew what the right thing was to do. He got so close. And he was like, I want another hit. he still yeah. chose the wrong thing. Yeah, to do like another hit. I I thought that that, like I didn't remember any of that. Also, I mean, they talk about him coming, and he's like, <laughs> because wait, we'll get to it in a well, second. Yeah. So Bronte escapes. She falls into a pool because she's an idiot. And sorry, I mean, I know I shouldn't say that, but like she is pretty stupid. Well, she doesn't fall into a pool. She's swimming in the pool because we didn't mention this, but Bronte's a swimmer. That's like Tennyson plays lacrosse. She's a swimmer, so they're both very athletic. And so she like to think she goes to like to the local pool to and swim she hits laps. Her head when she's getting out of the and pool. as she's coming out of the pool, this is how she's stupid. <laughs> she slips and falls and hits her head. And like we said, she's a swimmer. So I mean, I don't know how hard it is. Like I can imagine myself slipping and like falling, I guess, in a pool because I'm not a swimmer. But if you're like a professional, I mean I guess she's still in high school. But, but like, like you've been swimming for that long, you don't know how to safely get out of a pool. Yeah. Like I'm not even close to a professional swimmer. I'm Whatever. Anyway, it matters not. She's drowning, and then Bruce shows up and takes away her drowning. Yes, and this is where he said Tennyson's literally a drug addict because he followed Brewster from the house because he could not live, like, he couldn't experience his emotions without him. So he's following, like, stalking because Brewster then jumps in the water which uh, Bronte's still kind of stupid. So he jumps in the water and starts taking away the drowning, which, so then she feels okay, comes out of the pool, gets out just fine this time, you know, doesn't think about, was I just passed out in the pool? <laughs> she doesn't even see Brewster in the water, which again, how is this, how? is this pool in pitch in like a pitch dark night? Like, aren't there lights at a local like pool? Like, well, she did say she broke in. She knew how to get in without, Oh, also, I mean, I know she, but I'm saying, like, still, like, I guess, I mean, also they said that he sunk, which I guess yeah, if he was sunk. drowning, you sink, I guess, but. But still, I'm like, I don't know, again, anyway, I think she would be aware of what's going on The reason pool. she notices, because Tennyson, you know, the drug addict he is, was following them, and so he saw what happened, so he's like, oh my god, Brewster's in the water, so, like, go and dive in to try to, like, save him, and obviously, like, he's a super heavy dude, so they're, like, really struggling, and it ultimately takes them, like, dragging him out of the pool, like, together, I guess. They get him out, they do CPR on him, and then he he ends up, like, they call the ambulance, he goes to the hospital, and he's in a coma. So, but well, the, the even the reason he's like living at all is because like they're lying, he's lying there and the CPR is not working. And Tennyson, because again, he's smart and Brian oh, yeah. an idiot, he's like, we have to take some of our own pain. And like he wills it, he takes a little bit of pain, and that's when Bruce starts breathing. He starts now, breathing, he's still so in they, the coma, but he he's kind of like how Cody took the fear back, he took a little sliver back, exactly enough to keep him breathing. And, but then exactly. eventually and they come to the, like, they're able to take it all back, like, fully, like, again, consciously just do that. They take it all back, and then they immediately get the phone call that Brewster is awake. And that's, like, yes. the end of the book. 
Yes. And like you said, that's the ending. So the parents are going to separate. Cody and Brew are going to go into the care system. And Tenny and Bronte are going to grow up. And that's the ending. And at the end, I was just, you know, like, if they wouldn't have all been so selfish, like, Brewster never would have ended up in a coma in the first place. But, I mean, at least they were, like, obviously character growth. They were able to take all the bad stuff back. So he was able to wake up. I mean, again, I think that they didn't know that they could take things back. Yeah, that was something they had to come to, like, that conclusion. They had to realize that eventually. But when they did realize it, they made it right. So, yes, of course, it would not better if they'd come to that realization sooner. But, like, they didn't. I don't think that they were necessarily selfish as much as they were just. I think Tennyson was selfish. Based on what we read from their from their perspectives before believing that Bronte didn't know what was going on, Tennyson, when he realized, didn't say anything. To me, he was the most selfish yeah. of all also, the characters. Also, when he was... No, Cody. Cody. No, because uh-huh. Cody's still a kid, and he still came to the realization that what he was doing was wrong before Tennyson did. Also, Cody, that's also, his... Also, well, the real thing that Tennyson does that's inexcusable is when he asks Brew to come to the football game. He asks him to come to the football game, then after the breakup, when he leaves the house realizing what will happen, and he just goes back in the house, sits on the couch. Because remember, Cody's even like, did something bad happen? He's like, you should leave. Yeah. And then he can hear Brewster crying in the other room, and he's like, too late. So no, I do think Cody, to a point, was very selfish, but I think overall, if you had to pick, in my opinion, who the most selfish character was it was Tennyson which just meant he had to have the most growth because he to me out of everybody was the first also again to me it's different because Cody is like Brewster's little brother and he's been taught his whole life that Brewster's supposed to protect him Tennyson just met Brewster and is taking advantage of him like taking advantage of their friendship so that's why to me I felt like he was more selfish doesn't mean he can't come back from that I mean he came back from it but also, I mean, the drug addict, like, parallels, he ultimately was the one. I guess. Who went in, I feel like, the deepest. I guess. Well, I want to just mention the ending, which goes to what I was saying earlier. I think the ending is incredibly well done in that it's not, like, a happy, happy ending. Like, we don't get everything we want. No. Like, Brew and Cody are probably going to be separated in the foster care system. The parents are going to separate. Like, it's not going to be easy. And I like that. I'm not saying I like that. I don't mean, like, I'm happy for these people to have hard lives. But I'm like, I'm happy that the story's complex. I'm happy that it's not, you know, like, everything just, like, magically ends up as rainbows and unicorns. And I also think that the book stands alone really well. Like, I felt completely satisfied when I finished the book. I didn't feel like I need more. I didn't feel like necessarily I want more. I mean, I would have been, I would read more, but it wasn't like... It felt like the story felt so complete that I didn't need to see the characters again, which is a really hard needle to thread. And I didn't... I felt like the story spoke for itself. It didn't need more to like justify it so i just really think the ending was buttoned quite nicely and i wanted to give that props yeah i definitely have like obviously my main question is obviously like how will brewster go on like for the rest of his life and 
is it really sustainable for like Bronte and Tennyson and Cody and anyone Brewster like comes to love to like hold on to their own pain? Like I'm sure that would be extremely difficult for all of them to like maintain for a lifetime. So, but that's something that like even in a series you wouldn't get that. So I do agree that it's a really nice standalone book and kind of leaves this ambiguous ending of hope, but not like in the sense of they lived happily ever after, like because we don't know what happened. But I do think it's an interesting thing to think about especially talking more about the big picture and like the overall message because I mean like I said I I honestly didn't remember like most of the details of the story like I obviously knew that he had the power but like I also didn't remember that it was literally the whole story (laughs) I I did think like I thought that he was actually like physically abused that it wasn't like through Cody like I didn't remember that fully But I do think it is just, like, a very interesting conversation on, like, again, how selfish we can be as humans. Because even the most selfless of people, I think, would probably have taken advantage of Brewster's ability. Because, I mean, I would like to think even myself, like, how we're saying how Tennyson, or I'm saying Tennyson to me was the most selfish character. I would like to think that, you know... I would be able to walk away. I would be able to step out of the distance like he should have. But I know there's been certain points in my life, and I'm sure other people can agree that it would be almost impossible to resist the ability to escape like all pain, physically and emotionally, even if for a short period of time. Like when you're suffering, yeah. like, or if whether you're experiencing grief or anything, like, it would literally be, I mean, it's like taking drugs or something, like, that- especially because I agree, I completely agree. And I think especially because it's not a, you chose to take this sedative drug. It just happened. It happened to you. And now you have to basically, like, you didn't even put yourself in the situation. You now have to just climb out of the hole. Um, But you, like, woke up in the hole one day rather than, like, you made the conscious effort to, like, I was... It's like you got drugged or something at a party and then you become addicted to that drug. Addicted to that drug. Yeah, exactly. Like something happened to you and now you are dealing with the addiction to it. It's it's tough. Or Um, I guess like how people get addicted to like painkillers, like when you're prescribed a drug and then you get addicted to it. Yeah, gotta be real careful with that Oxycontin. Yeah, so it's... Definitely, like, I, yeah, to me, that's just a very interesting conversation. Like, I did not, didn't remember, like, any of, like, those parallels and really, like, just the commentary, like, from when I read this for the first time. But I just thought it was something that's really interesting to talk about because ultimately, like, as humans, like, we're selfish. Like, we, we're self-serving. We, it's all about survival and you have to put yourself first. But how can you do that when it's at the expense of someone else? So, well, good thing it's not real. To leave it, <laughs> yeah. Good thing it's not real. I think a lot of people would feel that. Do you know what I mean test. about like saying? Do you know what I mean about saying like that? It feels like it still feels like realistic fiction, insofar as like it doesn't feel like again because we what we just said, Brewster is a metaphor. Like could be a metaphor for oxycontin. Yeah. For like painkillers, and yes. His power is not real. I I don't want any listeners to think that I'm laboring under the impression (laughs) that it is realistic for teenage boys to absorb and steal pain. But in terms of, like, 
it's not pers- it's not written as like a fantastical thing. It's not written as like a superpower. It's written as like something that happens. And and it's written everything else is so realistic that like it doesn't read like fantasy. Like I would still put this in realistic fiction. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's definitely still realistic fiction. It just has a little bit of element. It has one element basically of like magic. Yeah, but even and then, I'm only like, using the never, word magic yeah. because how we like talked about in the Maze Runner, term. like magic versus technology. Like I don't think that he was technologically altered to have this power. Correct. Yes, in a like a science versus like natural thing. Mm-hmm. Like it was natural and therefore supernatural because it's not real. But I agree. Like yes, I. I I think it's just the magic. Like, there's not a good, there's not a better term for it. Maybe supernatural. Supernatural is the right term. Yeah, probably supernatural. And also, I mean, I understand why you're saying, like, it's just more believable also because even though it's using this supernatural ability, like we just said, like, you could have traded this with, like, drugs and it would be telling a very similar story. Um, Just obviously in this, with him having this power, it's affecting him so again it's you're making these decisions but you're affecting somebody else whereas i mean but when you're addicted to drugs you affect everyone around you so like it is like a very interesting like so yeah i i totally understand what you're saying by like it's still definitely like realistic like that's why it was my pick because god knows i'm never gonna pick a fantasy novel (laughs) or i don't know one of the series that we have coming up is a little more fantastical but it's still based in reality well, I think it's time to move on then. We're going to move on to some true fantasy. Dear God. <laughs> but it's based in reality. We're not like leaving our universe. So next week we're starting our new series, which is the very famous Inkheart trilogy by Cornelia Funke. And we're reading the first half of the eponymous first book, Inkheart, which is chapters 1 through 30. So if you do read along, go ahead and read up through there. Yes, and as always, if you have any predictions, theories, or questions, or you want to keep talking to us about any of the four books that we just covered, or any other things we've already covered, remember that you can stay in touch with us about anything on the Nerd Party website. Just head over to nerdparty.com contact and slash throwback paperback. You can send us an email there and get in touch with the network on Twitter at joinnerdparty or on Instagram at thenerdparty and facebook.com slash thenerdparty. And to find me, I'm at Asia Bonilla on Twitter and TikTok and at Asia.Bonia on Instagram. And I'm at C.E. Sheeland on Twitter and at Seashells on Instagram. And as we like to tell you, it's a podcast and the best way to grow a podcast is to rate and review it. So give us a star rating and write us a review. And share it. I was getting there. And share it. Share it around. Check out the other awesome podcasts on the Nerd Party Network and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss us next week. Yes, hit that subscribe, share the podcast, and have a good one. We will see you next week. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.